Hi everyone and welcome to Connected Learning TV. This is the second webinar in a month-long series titled Cities of Learning 2014 Unique Personalized Pathways to Success. I'm John Barroloni, Community Manager for the Connected Learning Alliance and I'll be our host for today. And throughout May we're getting some inside early looks at four major cities uh, learning programs. And for those of you who might be hearing about Cities of Learning for the very first time, it's part of a nationwide movement to leverage both community and government resources to create new links between in-school and out-of-school learning, um, both throughout the summer and beyond. And the focus of the program is to engage cities to open doors excuse me, uh, across all these different areas that youth have access to, um, creative and academic opportunities, whether it's within libraries, museums, parks, or other institutions, and also adding an online element to that. Um, so there's both a kind of online and offline mix throughout the summer and, again, beyond in larger cities learning programs. And Cities of Learning uses digital badges, um, which I'm sure Carla here in our Hangout will tell us a bit more about. Um, but basically, it's a tool that can document and capture the learning that's happening and wherever it's acquired and put it into an online sort of portfolio so it lives on for students. And Los Angeles' specific Summer of Learning program is actually taking cues from a 2013 program that Chicago ran, which involved over 100 different organizations. It served over 100,000 different young people. And uh, I think we have a couple here, people here who can talk about how LA Summer of Learning is ramping up those numbers even more. And in 2015, we're hoping that uh, Cities of Learning catches on um, right now. We have uh, Columbus, Dallas, Los Angeles, Pittsburgh, and Washington, D.C. involved in the 2014 program. So today, we're specifically chatting with some folks about LA's Summer of Learning program. And before we dive into our chat, a couple quick details. Um, to those watching live right now, we welcome your comments either via the COL2014 hashtag on Twitter, or we also have a Google Plus event page, and we'll make sure those get tweeted out. And we'll look for your questions there. We'll have some time for a Q&A here, so please feel free to ask questions and get some real-time answers from people here. And we're also chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning Google Plus community. So if you head to Google Plus and check out Connected Learning, you can join the conversations there. And so finally, I'd like to give our guests a chance to briefly introduce themselves. And from we'll go from my left to right. So Carla, do you want to start us off? I, uh, yep. Hey, everybody. I am Carla Casilli, and I'm with the Badge Alliance. And uh, what I'm doing at the Badge Alliance right now, we're kind of the outgrowth of Mozilla Open Badges. And I'm overseeing a variety of different working groups. And those include um, workforce endorsement, research, digital and web literacies, and also policy. And we've also been um, helping uh, make sure that the LAUS, sorry, the Los Angeles um, Summer of Learning and all the cities of learning um, come together and uh, make sense with open badges. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Perfect. And Celia? Uh, hi, I'm Celia Avila. I am the Young Adult Librarian at the Junipero Serra Branch Library. I work for the Los Angeles Public Library, 
And two of our branches will be hosting the Digital Media Labs this summer, including the Scratch programming and the Phonar photography workshops for the mobile phones. Perfect. Thanks for joining. And Jonathan? Hello. Yeah, my name's Jonathan Worth, um, and I'm a, an editorial portrait photographer. And I um, and I opened out a, a, a photography class in 2009, which very rapidly grew in the amount of people coming to it. Although it was running at a local university in the UK, um, very quickly we had uh, tens of thousands of people coming from all over the world. So we have a network of photographers. And this summer, I'm going to be leading and have written um, Phonar Nation, which is which brings the Phonar class uh, to the to the summer of learning. Perfect. And Victor? Hi, I'm Victor Gonzalez. I work for the Yale Unified School District. In the, it's beyond the Bell Branch. And we are courting leading the LA Summer of Learning. So we work with a fantastic team here with our Executive Director Alvaro Cortez, Director Thelma Melinda Santana, and Luis Mora. So we've been working hard trying to get every, all these different groups together to have a fantastic list of summer activities for students this summer. That's great. And Victor, actually, while we have you on here, I know that uh, the LA Summer of Learning is setting out to serve youth anywhere from age 3 to 24. And it definitely has a, a broad scope. Um, you can kind of correct me on the number of different students that you have involved. I think it's around uh, 50,000 that you're hitting specifically just through the school districts. And you have this, the city has this overall focus on workforce readiness. And so just to play devil's advocate a little bit and for people who would be wondering, you know, why exactly would a, say, five-year-old need to learn about being workforce ready? Can you talk more about that theme? Sure. So uh, I think you have hit upon something there. The issue is that we, this is really a partnership between the Los Angeles Unified School District and the City of Los Angeles, as well as, as this continues to grow, a variety of different partners as well, from the Chamber of Commerce to a variety of other CBOs that Beyond the Bell works with. So, for as you mentioned, for the city, one of the major parts of the Summer of Learning is this workforce development, and so we have uh, developing badges, digital badges around workforce readiness, interview skills, job applications, but because we do span the ages of, as you said, 3 to 24, we also have uh, options for young youth and family. So perhaps they'll get a Museum Explorer badge as they travel to museums, or our Junior Sprouts badge as they learn about the growth cycle of plants, as well as, as I mentioned earlier, things like job applications and interview skills. So it, it, the summer experience is not limited to simply workforce development. It encompasses a wide range of experiences for students and families. That's great. And Carla, kind of going off of that theme of, you know, this is LA's quote-unquote summer of learning program, um, but we're not just confining that learning to the summer. Can you talk a little bit about how digital badges specifically are helping extern extend that learning beyond the summer? 
Sure. Um, so we had a, a lot of fantastic learning that happened last year during the Chicago Summer of Learning. And um, we were very excited about all the things that took place, all the organizations that were connected. And we wanted to make sure that um, that concept wasn't just just kind of lost, that we only had like one a one-off experience. And so we ended up working with a number of cities over the course of the last year thinking through how might we expand something like the Chicago Summer of Learning into a long-term experience, um, recognizing that, uh, that um, there is a, a need not only for kind of the summer learning drop-off, which is where a lot of Chicago was focused, but also recognizing that people learning is happening everywhere all the time and badges can be used successfully to, do, to acknowledge that. So it's something that we want to make sure starts to happen kind of globally that uh, there are different areas that get acknowledged and recognized. So I love the fact that, that we talked about you know, five-year-olds getting badges and how that might play into workforce readiness, but also thinking about um, there's lots of learning activities that are happening, lots of informal environments where, where kids and adults are learning, museums, libraries. Um, these are lots of places that uh, learning takes place, and now badges are a way to start acknowledging all of that learning. And then they can be used as, as pathways, so recognizing that there are ways that um, badges can connect from one to the next. So one experience to the next, so it may be that you learn in one area, um, and then that also translates into another. So one informal environment can translate into a formal environment. And that whole learning experience can lead, to, lead you into potentially professional pathways, but also social pathways and, um, and different opportunities along the personal line, professional line, social line, lots of different ways that badges can start to connect things for people so that they have this kind of very large and well-rounded um, way to represent themselves. And sometimes we refer to it as kind of a living transcript. So badges can be used in that way. And in that way, it just means continuous lifelong learning. And that's what you'll hear a lot when, whenever we hear you hear us talk about open badges is the idea of that sense of continuous and lifelong learning. So. That's how we hope to continue um, having badges be representations of those experiences. That's a great vision, Carla. Thanks for that download there. And Jonathan, I think you wanted to touch on specifically um, what being workforce ready means uh, to you as a photographer and to students who are going to be pursuing photography this summer. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that as Victor was talking. And, um, and we have some great examples of, of where it's been useful for the students that have taken the, the, the undergraduate course that I run in the UK. And um, it, I mean, what I'm, so it, it, we, we call it photography, but photography is really the hook. Phonar and Phonar Nation is so much bigger than photography. It's, it's about visual literacy in a, in, a, in a culture and a world that's visually led and on an internet that's almost entirely visually led. And being able to understand uh, and read those images and actually speak in them is a really, is a really uh, useful and powerful skill. And this is what we sort of speak to in, in Phonar Nation. So I was uh, approached last year uh, during, during the course that I was running at Coventry uh, in the UK by an employer. And the employer said to me, he said, what I love about this course is that you teach a unique skill set. You go beyond what photography is and you use it um, outside and you apply this stuff. And um, he, he also said, the other thing that I really love about it is that the people that take the classes are distributed. They're, no, they're not just in a classroom in one place, they're all over the world. Now what this guy was doing, he was looking for people to hire with this unique skill set all, uh, all over the world because it turns out that he was a filmmaker and he worked for people like Medicine Sans Frontieres, so Doctors Without Borders and the Red Cross. 
And, as it happened, he hired someone, a student, directly from the class. And that guy had to then go and leave and do and go and work for this, for this person, which gave me a problem because I had to cover for him for the rest of his degree. But what the really exciting thing, I think, there for Phonar Nation is that, is that it's free and available to everybody. You don't have to pay to go and do a really expensive degree to get direct access to these super rock stars that are going to be watching in, looking in to see what you're doing. So that's you know there is this unique skill set, but also um, it can this connects you directly with the people that you might work with or might work for, which I think is really exciting. That is, and I know that ties in a bit into this kind of broader open learning movement that I know you and I have talked a bit before about, um, and I'm sure we'll be touching on that a little bit later too. How this summer of learning is kind of a microcosm, actually, of how economy is going to work for these kids in the future. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, Sally, I know you wanted to touch about touch in about um, libraries and specifically how they encourage learning beyond the summer as well. Uh, so at the library, we strive to create communities of lifelong builders, um, especially with our younger patrons. I'm sorry, lifelong learners. Um, so specifically for the summer programs that we're hosting at the branches, we'll make resources available beyond the summer. So the materials we're purchasing, the um, laptops, the iPods, they'll all be available and used by the kids throughout the school year and into the future, as well as buying materials that support the learning that we've done throughout the summer and in other aspects, more science learning. Um, and then also through support with our online resources, like the um, our job guides, our courses through Gale, which also offer various photography courses that the kids can now um, perhaps explore on their own once they have a basis from this summer. Thanks, Celia. And actually, um, both Jonathan and Celia, since you're both going to be kind of uh, on the ground in the trenches in terms of uh, hosting actual programs this summer, um, is this the first time you're both running this kind of sustained physical event, or are you both bringing in some you know, best practices and lessons that you've learned from previous attempts? What kind of tips could you share with people who um, might be doing this either in a city's learning aspect or on their own as well? Do you want me to go first, Celia? <laughs> so <laughs> so, um, so I, I first opened a class out um, in 2009, and I ran, it was a, I ran two classes. I ran, opened another one out in 2010. So uh, four or five years' experience of doing uh, these courses over 10 weeks, but um, location-based courses at a university within a conventional degree program. Um, but the, the bigger class, the real class, is, as happens, as I said before, distributed and connected all around the world. And it doesn't happen just once a week as the class that I have been running. It happens all through the week. Um, and so there's lots of lessons that, uh, that I've sort of learned from that. And we've kind of built those in to how we've structured the Phonar Nation course. Um, so I, I hope that we're going to bring as much uh, of the good stuff there. And, um, and, and if people do are actually sort of interested in adapting any of the stuff that we're doing, perhaps for another subject area or for something entirely different, then I'd, I'd urge them to just reach out because um, we've licensed all of the material for adaption or adoption. Um, and I think that would be a sort of really uh, productive way of focusing on people that want some more tailored advice. Uh, 
Hey, John, if I can just jump in and uh, start to build on that. Um, so one of the things that I think open badges are really great at is exactly that. They can remove that, that need for location-based learning. And while Los Angeles is focused on having people um, participate in an in-person environment, one of the beauties of the summers of learning in a variety of different cities will be that eventually it, um, location may not be such an issue. So if you are located in some very remote area where you don't have access to a large city or if you're not in a major metropolitan area um, where most of the city's summers of learning are happening this year, that you'll actually be able to access these tools and learn in the same way that other people are participating. So there's this great connectivity that badges, open badges are starting to offer to people um, lots of learning opportunities and then recognition for those learning opportunities that are then shareable across different environments. Thanks for that, Carla. Appreciate it. And Sally, kind of going back to the previous point, did you want to tag on? Um, sure. So at the library, this is, um, I've had experience leading classes before, but never in subjects that are completely new to me. So it is a little bit difficult, but as long as my advice to anyone who is going to try it or wants to try it is to just be patient and um, it's not impossible. It's really easy. Bonar has set up in an amazing way and it's, I'm a terrible photographer, but I've taken some really good pictures in the last couple of days just following Jonathan's advice. So um, I'd advise patience and it's doable but it does take a lot of time and effort on your part to make it a really good experience for the kids you're teaching it to. If I could just jump in there because Sally has really underplayed her value in this. Um, so um, I've, I've consistently delivered courses and written courses for uh, 18 to uh, 23, 24. The oldest person I've, I've taught is was 65, never younger than that, although I have children that are uh, around that around this sort of 12 uh, age. So going to Sally, and, and showing her the classes, that there were more changes made in that two-hour slot than had been made for the two months previously. And every single change was um, super uh, useful, and, uh, and it made the course infinitely better, much more um, effective, I think, and appropriate. And so if somebody is looking at the content, then what we really want them to do, and Sally has just said it takes a bit of time, please, please, please give us that time. Give us that time. Tell us how you change it. Tell us how we can make it better. Because there is going to be stuff in there that's not quite right, and it, it is the class is in beta, and it's open anywhere. We're very explicit about that. Is is it? It's in beta. So if you find stuff that you think could be done alternatively or more effectively, then please feedback, and we'll build that straight away into the course. Um, I'm glad that um, Celia feels that she's making better pictures. I think they're awesome. <laughs> that's great. And you touched on. It sounds like there's this uh, flexibility factor to these programs during the summer of learning that you know we might not necessarily see in typical you know k-12 spaces or formal spaces and I'm just wondering um, both Jonathan and Sally real quick um, are any of the young people taking part in these programs actually helping shape the curriculum or the programs in some way and if so does that all kind of happen at the beginning with feedback or is it more kind of like what you were talking about Jonathan this consistent feedback and tweaking process throughout the summer uh, so uh, Phonar, Phonar Nation as it's now known started out as Califonar and it started out last summer 
And I've been uh, writing and delivering this class with um, a community center, with the Com uh, Cambodian Family Center in Santa Ana. Uh, for me, it was midnight till two in the morning every Friday night. But um, it's been a no. It's been constantly written together. We took the we took the the things in Phonar that were really important and really useful, and we had to work out how this is going to be appropriate and and fun for a 12-year-old, accessible to a 12-year-old and fun, yet challenging for a 17, 18-year-old, and of real a real consequence and use if they want to apply this stuff to, to either go straight into work or they want to go to college. This is a great space to build a portfolio, to go and study media, to go and study any sort of visual, any visually, uh, any sort of visual uh, medium. It's a great place to go and build a port, uh, photography portfolio, but it's also a great place. It's a great place to learn how to leverage the networks. It's a great place to go and see, to feel empowered by the network rather than be kind of anonymized by it, if that makes sense. And so, um, and so, yes, I mean, the, the, the students, the participants that have taken place, and it's, it's written straight at the front, front door, first, the first page you drop into on, on the website, you know, it says, thanks very much, this course was written for, for all these, these students, and together we've made it something that we can all join in on. You know, the, the key thing is school wasn't a great experience for me, and I watch my daughter now struggling to get through school with, with, um, in some areas. And what, what we wanted to make this was explicitly, you mentioned earlier on about this being adaptable. You know, people can drop in and drop out of the Phonar Nation. They don't have to do every lesson uh, in, in order. You can drop in at any point, just pick, it, pick something up if it's fun, play with it and make it better and then drop it in, share it, make the network better and then and go. Come back whenever you want. So it, it, it's, it's kind of not like school in the sense that you have to turn up and comply or you have to learn algorithmically. You know, it's it's um, this is a problem-solving course where we sort of get in there and get, get roll our sleeves up and get messy together, and then um, take away all sorts of bits and bobs. And Victor, specifically for you, coming from the LAUSD angle, um, it's kind of clear to see what the different benefits are for young people that are going to be involved in, you know, summer of learning and cities of learning program. But what about some of the adults who are involved as well? And specifically, I'm thinking about, um, you know, parents of students, but also teachers. Is there some kind of benefit that they see in the fall when their kids come back and their kids have been involved in summer of learning? Sure. Uh, so. First thing, uh, students are first in everything that uh, we do here in Beyond the Bell and that the school district does as well. So with that, there are obviously some uh, benefits to those that work with students directly and indirectly. So for example, and I think uh, Carla may have mentioned this earlier, the issue of summer, summer learning loss. So all these activities are planned to be not only engaging as was mentioned earlier, but also to be something that the students will be able to keep and capture and grow on, so to try to arrest some of that summer learning loss that is well documented in research and that teachers in the classroom live when students come back from summer. More than that, though, we are also looking at data systems uh, within the district, working with our partners, uh, DePaul University, DYN, as well as uh, Mozilla, who help, is helping with the badge, has designed the badge framework as well, to be able to feed this data back to teachers so that it, it not only 
teachers will not only be able to see what sorts of activities students did during the summer, but even ongoing because part of the Cities of Learning is also looking at continuing this past just this summer. So for example, imagine the power of a teacher uh, booting up their computer to take attendance in an everyday classroom. And beside uh, John or Jane's uh, contact information, they now can also see that they uh, that that student attended a music program during the summer or that they took an online coding course during the summer or that after school they're involved in some sort of art program because maybe those students don't have a lot of academic success traditionally in the classroom but these this additional data for the teacher provides a teacher another pathway to reach that student and so I think really it's going to be uh, very, very powerful for that classroom teacher with these additional data systems. Additionally, we're also seeing as part of our partners, and I've posted in the group chat not just our list of badges, but our list of partners as well. These are all adults from across the city coming together and working to impact these students. And I think for those organizations, they're going to get to the opportunity to, to reach out to a group of students and families that might not otherwise know about them or have reg easy access to them. But now because we're consolidating all, the, all this information, all these opportunities in a structured way on one website, uh, summeroflearning.la, uh, that these families will be able to access more of the city and learn more about their own communities than has been possible in the past. That's awesome. And during that, you said you know, kind of a, a trigger word that made some light bulbs go off, you know, this concept of pathways. And I know specifically in Mozilla's Open Badges work and now with the Badge Alliance, um, that concept of creating and growing learning pathways is really crucial to the work. So Carla, do you want to speak a little bit about, you know, kind of what we've learned over the past few years about this importance of creating learning pathways for youth? Sure. So there are a variety of ways that um, pathways make sense. One of them is that uh, there are connections, as I mentioned a little earlier, between learning that happens outside of school and, um, and exactly what Victor was just talking about. Uh, things that can be learned about uh, what kids do when they're outside of school. And here I'm just going to talk about youth, um, but this also extends out into the adult population as well. Uh, the idea of making sure that um, there's interest-driven learning, so this is something you also hear a lot about, is um, there are requirements when you're in school, but then when you're outside of school you can, you can choose to learn things, and those choices are informative, not only to the people who might have some influence on you in the future, but also from a personal perspective. So it introduces all kinds of personal agency that you can look at um, your series of badges and say, wow, I have these five different participation badges in science. I never even knew I was interested in science. Um, then there's also the idea that eventually we're going to connect up all these different badges. So badges that are earned, remember we're taking the perspective from the earner. Um, the earner is looking at all these different possibilities and we want to make sure that they can make connections between them, but also so that there's an opportunity for different organizations to start creating pathways and saying like, hey, 
you want to be an astrophysicist, here are the 25, well, I don't know how many badges that would include, but let's say 25 different badges um, that um, we're looking for when we're looking for an astrophysicist. So all of a sudden that opens up possibilities for someone. And one of the things, one of the ways that I particularly like to talk about badges is the idea of it allows people to try on what we call future selves. So you can kind of imagine what it would be like to earn these different badges or possibly go down part of a pathway and say like, wow, this is still really interesting to me. And all of a sudden it branches off into another area. Um, and then that's also very interesting so that you're constantly making these links between different locations. That said, um, the infrastructure, so the technology to do that is something that we're aiming to create in the next few years. Um, it doesn't, it isn't necessarily there, but as there are, at this point, millions of badges being issued. So um, from the Badge Alliance perspective, we made a commitment um, last year at this Clinton Global Initiative America to, um, for two million better futures. We've already hit that number. So, so that two million better futures was also um, one million students and one million workforce. Uh, we've already hit that number, so understanding that, we're also now we're going with an even more big, hairy, audacious goal with the idea of um, possibly 10 million. So looking at that in the future, what does that mean? That means that there are lots and lots of badges that are out there. They will begin to make more and more sense the more connections that are made between them. So that's part of the work that the working groups are focused on as well is the idea of endorsement. So having one organization endorse another organization's badges, which also starts to lead into that concept of pathways. So you can think of this as kind of this very large network of badges that are starting to be connected, not only through existing partnerships, but also through, through future partnerships, and also through the earners themselves finding their ways through, and then being able to share their own pathways. Um, one thing that we talk about that I think is a really fun exercise that we hope to do in the future is also looking at people who are um, in the you know popular environment right now and kind of kind of reverse engineering their badge pathway. So maybe they didn't have badges to get to where they are now, but we can kind of assign them badges to what they would have done. So all of a sudden this gives other people again that picture of what it could be like to be this person or how they got to that point. And recognizing that pathways are not necessarily linear, that people jump around quite a bit. Um, I will mention just also briefly before I wrap up is that there is um, a work at Mozilla happening right now looking exactly at pathways, starting to recognize that there are opportunities for people who are either in high school or um, right around that age who are starting to look for jobs, even entry-level jobs, um, but don't really understand what the requirements are for those jobs. So um, we're working kind of doing that handshaking between workforce and, uh, and the formal education environment saying like, these are all the badges that could actually lead up to this kind of job. And again, so that it's not necessarily always linear, but recognizing that there are multiple ways to get to different, way, to different um, professions and different experiences. That's great, Carla, and you know, awesome to hear about the 2M Better Futures progress as well. And you know, you also brought up in this issue of you know equity and you know people who aren't necessarily equipped to go through this typical you know American dream process of get your high school diploma, get a four-year degree, get a master's degree, et cetera, et cetera. And that is, you know, the path to success that a lot of us are familiar with. So it's great to hear. And uh, Jonathan, from before, I think you wanted to tag up a little bit on what Carla was saying, yeah? I love what Carla was saying. Uh, and, you know, I, I, it's, there's lots of things in there that really excite, excite me. Um, but I was, as a photographer, 
you know, it's easy to think that your badge is your portfolio, and I think, and that's, and it should be. You know, the actual, the, the body of work that you take away to show people that is effectively your badge. But one of the things that um, we find with people, and, and I, I think we're all the same, is that you kind of don't know what you know very often. And a badge is a really great way of just kind of underlining what that portfolio represents. So there may be, say, for instance, one of the activities that one of the students will have to do is they might have to look for an image within a family album or within a collection of photographs that they have that says something. And then they might have to take uh, one or two more images and put them together to make a story. Now, at the end of that, what that shows is that this person can edit a set of images, that they can curate images from archives. In this case, it was a family album, but they, it is, that's an archive. And then they can interpret visual signs within the images, and they can describe their significance, and they can use images to tell stories, and they can put more than one image together to refer to another one, and that they can construct a narrative. But hold on a minute, all we asked you to do is to pick out some pictures from, a, from, a, from an album and put them together and tell a story with it. And suddenly there is a skill set that's associated with this project they did. And so that, for me, I think that's really exciting for this iteration, for the badges. That when they've done this activity, they'll have a, things, a list of things that they are also aware of. And when you're aware of the stuff that you're aware of, you can then choose what it is that you really want to work harder at and develop. And that's very exciting because that, that really empowers the learner. Then. That, uh, that moves them into a very, very positive space. So I think, I think that's, um, that's really exciting. Great point, Jonathan. And, oh yeah, perfect, Victor. You want to follow up? Sure. So, one of the things that Carla said uh, that I want to follow up on was when she was talking about these connections and obviously unconnected learning. Looks like we might be having a couple issues with Victor's connection there, so we'll see if we can get him back in real quick. Um, let's see. In the meantime, um, Celia, from a, oh, Celia, sorry, from a library standpoint, um, how are you seeing the library kind of transform as a community space um, during the summer versus kind of what it looks like? throughout the summer and do you think that's typical for a lot of these community spaces that are getting involved in summer of learning? Um, well actually our um, the library as we work on it now it's becoming more obvious to everybody so I'm assuming that it's the same for a lot of these other organizations where we provide all these services for year-long learning. Um, we've hosted coding series in the past at my branch, um, but we don't get um, a lot of recognition on it. So bringing something like this to the table makes makes it, puts it more out in the open, and so more people are becoming aware of what it is that we're, we're doing at the branches. So for adults, um, as I speak to them about uh, the programs that we're offering and the, the summer of learning, they're... They're, sorry, their views are changing on what, what it is we do. And they're, I feel like there's more of an understanding now. And it's becoming, it's becoming more um, helpful and our resources are being utilized a little, a little more. So we're hoping that it continues. That's awesome to hear. And yeah, sorry, Victor, it looks like we got you back now. Do you want to go back to your point there? 
Well, no. So all I was saying was that being able to connect those student interests and see, have them see the connections that they may not otherwise see before. So as I was saying, perhaps they're interested in playing basketball, but that sports badge might connect to some kind of other science, uh, physical or health badge, and so that they can start to see the larger connections. And maybe they're not going to be an NBA player, but they can have a role in the NBA, for example. And what are the skills needed to, to make that connection? Gotcha. And so for... And hey, I... Oh, go ahead, Carla. Sorry, John, I just want to jump in a little bit on that one, too. Um, sure. So I think there, one of the things that um, we... I don't think we can um, underscore this one enough is the idea that recognizing that you have skills in certain areas, sometimes that opens up opportunities on different understandings. So one thing that came out of last summer that I thought was really fascinating is um, A was included in STEM, right? So instead of just STEAM, science, technology, engineering, and math, we actually had science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And I am a huge proponent of the arts because I feel like creativity is an aspect of all those different other categories as well. Um, and recognizing that, though, there was someone who was representing a musical, a music um, organization that they taught music during the summer. And it would have been easy to stuff them into just the arts and uh, category, but then also recognizing that there's all kind of things associated with that, right? That math is associated with that, um, that technology can be associated with that. So if we can start to break down exactly what people are doing in these experiences, um, we can also allow people to understand where they're interests might lead them in the future. So recognizing that maybe you're a fantastic musician, but um, also that means that you're probably a really good mathematician. And you're also probably pretty good with technology because for the most part, a lot of music these days is totally technologically oriented. Um, and in the same way that we've been talking about phone art, it's the same idea, right? So that um, it's easy to talk about photography from an arts perspective, but there are all these different aspects that, get, that are related to that, directly related to that. Um, so it's just a fantastic place for people to start seeing, like, maybe you thought you were just one kind of person, but actually, in reality, you have all these other areas of expertise as well. It sounds like it's kind of like holding up a mirror to yourself and finding all those different parts of you that you didn't know you were either had talent in or interested in. So that's great. I'm really looking forward to hearing what comes out of this summer and, and how young people kind of see themselves differently. And along those lines, this is kind of a, a general question for anyone, um, but how do we envision adult mentors kind of fitting into these goals of helping kids discover what they're interested in or inspiring them to be creative? Is it as easy or as simple as, hey, here's a program or here's kind of a, an assignment or project, try it out, or is there more guidance involved? How complicated is that mixture? If I could jump in if you want. Um, I, was, I think one of the things that Carla, Carla said, and I'll pick up on it, because it's something that I've been using in the interviews that I've been doing. So as I sort of reached out into the network that, that the Phonar class has become, there are a lot of um, professional photographers and people that work within the industry that, that take the classes um, for whatever reason. And they've now built up this community. And I, I asked them, um, I asked uh, a key ones of them for interviews, and a part of the questions that I asked them is, um, how how do you how if you looked back and sort of look at key learning moments in your career, 
uh, we could we could we could badge those, that, which is what Carla was saying, retro sort of retroactively badging yourself. But I, I say one of those key learning moments. Perhaps it was the first time you um, you made a photograph and you and you and it turned out the way you, you wanted it to look, or maybe it was the first time you asked somebody if you could photograph them that you didn't know, or perhaps it was the first time you got commissioned or hired or saw a print. But there is a general consensus in these things that there are sort of some key learning moments that really stick out, and that can form a bit of a pathway, can kind of bridge that chasm between being 13, not knowing what you're going to do, and seeing this rock star photographer that seems that's shooting for the National Geographic. And so I think that's, that's a really important role that um, people are perhaps a little bit further down the path uh, than the younger people that are taking part in the course uh, can, can play. And it's, a, and it's a really exciting one as well. So and then I, and I'll also jump in a little bit here. Um, I think one of the things that Jonathan was just talking about is the idea too that um, different forms of assessment will lead people into different environments. And so if we start to introduce things like peer assessment, then well, it looks like we might have had Carla freeze this time. <laughs> we'll keep rolling with the punches here. Uh, that's how you're sharing, and maybe you're only one step ahead of the people that you're teaching, but that one step is really important. And Carla, sorry, it looked like you dropped out a little bit there. Do you want to kind of rewind about 30 seconds for us and repeat real quick? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is my pitch for peer assessment. Um, so recognizing that there are all kinds of different forms of assessment, and with badges there are lots of opportunities to try out different assessment. Um, one of the things that Jonathan was just talking about was also the idea of um, starting to allow peers to look at each other's work and start to teach and learn from one another. And that also gives people the opportunity. So, so you're essentially kind of creating the next step, next stage of people's um, experience. And, uh, and then also, so your question was really about, you know, adult mentors and getting them to interact in these environments. Uh, there's a whole lot of excitement around badges. Um, it is a very interesting experience overall. So um, while some people are, are surprised by it, um, a lot of people, like, once you start talking to them about it and once they understand what's required, get very excited about it. And if adults see their kids doing things, it's also very motivational. So that is kind of a, it starts the wheel spinning and that things kind of progress from there. Um, and then also there are, some of the cities of learning are also focused on adult and workforce activities. So also, as we mentioned, and I'll repeat again, the idea that adult and lifelong learning is something that badges are good at representing. And there are lots of people who are not traditional students I would say the majority of the people um, who are adults who are in formal ed are not traditional students and can benefit significantly by the idea of badges and recognizing that maybe you don't need a full college degree, um, maybe you just need acknowledgement for the content or the information that you know already. That's excellent. And I love that point about um, making peer-to-peer -peer assessment a viable option, too, because I know you know, K-12 and other formal spaces, you're almost always seeing, you know, top-down assessment being graded or judged or what have you by someone in a power position and authority. So that seems like a, a really cool dynamic. And Celia, did you want to touch real quick on uh, an earlier point? Um, as far as the level of work or support that we need to have for the, the, the kids, it's not just like having the workshops to be in there for them and making sure that they know that it's okay to fail but continue to try and 
experiment with other things. So maybe, you know, um, coding wasn't working out so well, but try the photography or go to the science center, see what they have to offer. So I think it takes a lot more um, than just providing the services. You have to be there and really get them excited and continue, um, get them to continue to do it. And permission to fail is, you know, a, a huge thing that we don't tell young people it's okay often enough to, you know, not be perfect at something or, you know, you, you didn't get an A, that's okay, learn from your mistakes and do it better next time. But, uh, Victor, I know you had a point that you wanted to follow up on, on uh, assessment from what Carla was saying. Oh, Victor, you're muted. So, uh, with the variety of partnerships that we have, each one creating a variety of badges, we also have almost as many different types of assessment. On because badges, there are different kinds of badges. So we might value, we value, uh, we might have skill badges that reflect uh, the skills that students have acquired. We might have knowledge badges that reflect the the learning that knowledge uh, the learning that students have uh, accumulated through their badge work. So that and at each point, there are different people who. So we have from rubrics for observation to actual assessments that students can take to presentations students make. So it's a wide variety of assessments to reflect the wide variety of experiences available to students. I do also want to take the opportunity though, if I may, because we've been talking a lot about badges and summer learning, so if you don't mind, I want to let people know that for how to actually enroll in the summer of learning if you're a student. So the easiest way probably is to visit our website, which uh, I'm going to direct you to our Beyond the Bell website, btb.lausd.net. That's btb for Beyond the Bell.lausd.net, and we have a link there for summer programming. So you'll not only see the opportunities around summer of learning uh, and the badges, but you'll see all of our summer programming as well. And from there, you'll be able to click onto links to enroll online, and we're also planning on sending out some brochures and paper applications uh, later on next month as well. So once you enroll in Summer of Learning, you'll be able to uh, enroll in the different badges. Everybody can actually take part and get a badge for the variety of experiences that uh, Los Angeles is going to offer this summer. You will need to enroll because the students will need to have parental approval before they can actually enroll. So, and, and just relating to that, one thing that I just really love about the, the, the Los Angeles website, too, is everybody can see what badges are available, and I think that's a huge deal. When we talked about pathways before, being having the opportunity to be able to see what's available to you is not something that is typically happening. Typically, you're in some kind of linear learning environment where you learn things kind of at the point you need to learn things. Um, and here you get the opportunity of being able to see everything that's in front of you. And again, that concept of trying out a future self, you can start to say like, wow, these look really interesting. I would love to do this, and I'd love to connect this and this, or I have these very different interests, and I'm going to try to do them all. And, um, and what's great is you get to see all of the opportunities laid out in front of you. It's a great point, Carla. And Victor, thanks for 
that information. I know people who are either watching live or watching the recording later will definitely want to check that out. Um, we are getting already close to the end of our hour here. It's kind of hard to imagine. Um, so I'm just wondering in terms of general advice from you know all of your different vantage point, um, knowing that Cities of Learning, this initiative, is going to be expanding you know year after year, I'm wondering from you know each of your kind of specific backgrounds, if you had any advice, and I know this is a little you know premature leading into the summer, but if you had any advice for people um, who are thinking of emulating the same kind of program in their own cities or who would want to bring at least the opportunity to their own cities, um, what are kind of some first steps that they would need to do or you know first connections that they would need to make? Victor, go ahead. So let, let me jump in on this one, if I may, because uh, as the lead organization coordinating Summer of Learning for Los Angeles, the very first thing any city needs is a strong champion to make this work happen. And I'm going to say that our executive director, Alvaro Cortez, has shown exceptional leadership around this and has really resourced this work. and has really helped make this happen. I mean, we have a variety of partners. I don't want anyone to get me wrong because this work wouldn't be possible without all those partnerships from EverFi to uh, Boys and Girls Clubs. Uh, but for a city to make this happen, you need a champion you, to, to see this and to provide the leadership that's necessary. And I think that's what our uh, Executive Director Alvaro Cortez has done. That's perfect. And Carla, do you want to jump in next? Sure. So I, I think that um, Victor has described it really well. I think uh, one of the things that we have found is that you do need a champion um, in order to kind of get to galvanize everybody into, uh, first of all, also understanding that badges are not, they're not common lingua franca, franca yet. Um, so there's the idea that lots of people are still learning about badges. So that's the reason it's really important to have someone spearheading it. Um, that said, I think any, any organization um, can start to look at different badges that are out there. And they're, one of the great, fantastic things about the Cities of Learning is that everybody is sharing the, um, the stuff that they're doing during the summer, the learning that they're making. There's research associated with all of this, and that will also feed into any future efforts. So um, in a lot of ways, I just want to applaud all of the cities who are doing this this summer because it's a huge and fantastic undertaking, and lots of people will benefit not only from the people earning the badge earners themselves, but also future organizations and future cities. So, um, I, I, so I can't speak for the from a city perspective or as, as overreaching as as Carla can with her badges. But um, if someone were wanting to to deliver a, an iteration of the class that we're running, then they just go and download the collaborators kit, which has everything to go and deliver a local iteration. And so we have, we have iterations that are running in um, Tipperary and Cork in Ireland. We have um, iterations running in Paris, France. We have iterations running in, uh, in Bangladesh. Um, so that's, you know, we, it's, it's quite global, and it's, and it's very straightforward and simple. But once you've downloaded that kit, you can see how to build the class for an English literature course or for a, for a music course or for whatever. The principles remain pretty much the same. But also I wanted to add in that we've talked very locally, and I just wanted to make the point that if that anyone can do the anyone can do the phone our nation course, and I hope that's the case for most of the other ones as well. You don't have to register; there is no barrier to entry. 
you can just drop in, take a couple of classes wherever you are in the world, and it, it's even we've even written a version of it that you can download as a PDF if you have very limited access to Wi-Fi. The entire course has been written and built on mobile devices for people with mobile devices. You don't even need a camera. And so um, you, if, if you're not sort of in a city where this is actually taking place, then, um, then you can still take part. And I, I would urge people, if they're vaguely interested, just dip your toe in as an instructor or as a participant. But I'm interested to hear what advice Celia would give. Um, I would say that you should stop thinking about it and just do it. Um, as I said before, it's okay to fail. It's okay if it doesn't work, but at least you tried. And it provides such a wonderful resource for your communities, and it showcases the institutions that are already there and are already doing stuff that's similar. Um, so find that champion. Find the people who want to partner with you and just do it. Start doing it. Um, yeah, I would say just, just go for it. That's perfect, Sally. I think that's a, a great note and place of energy to end on. So thank you all again for you know your energy, your time, your insights, and especially what you're bringing to this LA Summer of Learning project. Um, by tomorrow, we should have a full video and audio recording of this webinar uh, for people who weren't able to join us live today, and also some other curated content up on the website, www.connectedlearning.tv. And you can definitely share that out with your networks. And this already wraps up our second webinar of this month-long series on the cities of learning, but that doesn't mean that our conversations have to end or pause here. Um, we encourage everyone to keep this energy going by using the Twitter hashtag COL 2014, and I believe um, LA's specific one is LASOL2014 as well. And you can also get involved in the ongoing connected learning conversations on Google Plus as well. And um, like uh, Victor pointed out a couple times here in our chat, uh, if you'd like to learn more about the upcoming LA Summer of Learning programs, please check out summeroflearning.la and also btb, beyondthebell.lausd.net. And next week, we're going to be doing a little bit of a double feature to wrap up the month with a couple of our other major cities. Uh, we'll be doing Pittsburgh and Dallas and talking with folks about their programs there. Um, so tune in to, again, www.connectedlearning.tv for more info about that. All right, and this wraps us up. So thanks again, everyone who is watching us live, and uh, we'll see you online. Bye.